Amen. 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 Well, it's my turn to say good morning. Appreciate that response there. It's my privilege to speak to you today in Jason's absence, and I thank him and the Lord for the opportunity to do that. And just a little bit, a little bit I will be reading our text, which is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, and uh, beginning with verse 9, but uh, have a few preliminary remarks to make before we get there, if you'll allow me to. <laughs> well, I'm the one doing the preaching, so I guess you'll allow me to. Uh, first thing I want to say is I just love the book of Isaiah. I, I think you probably feel the same way as I do about it. It's just a wonderful book, just jam-packed with so many wonderful things that the Lord has to say to, through Isaiah to his people in those days and that we can apply to our lives today, and I hope that we'll do just exactly that. Some examples of the scriptures in Isaiah that I like, for example, are Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isn't that neat? Amen. I mean, God said, you got an argument to make? I'm ready. Bring it to me. Let's argue. That's what the word reason, if I understand, could be translated argue, not fist fight or anything like that. But you present your case, I've got a case. Let's reason about it. I like Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. We're not going to read all the verses, but that's, of course, the call and surrender of Isaiah when God said, who will I send and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And uh, it's been pointed out a lot of times that uh, the call is out there. I, when I was growing up and I was in high school and starting college, I used to tell people that people say, you ought to be a preacher. And I said, well, I haven't been called. I'm waiting on the call. And then a smart aleck preacher named Dwayne Turner preached from this passage one night in a revival meeting and pointed out the fact the call's already out there. It's there. He didn't say, Isaiah, will you go? He said, who will go? I was defenseless. Anyway, that's another good one. Don't you, don't you love Isaiah 9, 6? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that Isaiah was writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't understand exactly who it was, I guess, but we know. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When, we pass, when you pass through the waters, he will, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isn't that neat? What a blessed, blessed promise and assurance that we can apply. It was written to the Jews back in Isaiah's day, but we can apply it to us. And, of course, then there's Isaiah 53. 1 through 12, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to, us, to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its, hear, its shearers was silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as far as his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul you shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. <laughs> you see, I've had trouble trying to decide what to preach on today. There's so many passages in the Old Testament, in this particular in, in the book of Isaiah, and I didn't even read Isaiah 55, verses uh, 6 through 13, that I really like, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and so on and so forth. But Isaiah is full of great and wonderful passages, and it's my privilege to speak to you this morning about another one of those, and it's taken in Isaiah chapter 40. Again, before we read it, I want to bring you a little bit up to date on what's happened prior to this writing that, uh, or this declaration that Isaiah made to the people of Israel. In uh, chapter 39, we began the chapter reading that the king of Babylon sent an envoy to, to uh, uh, the king uh, of Judah, and uh, he, uh, Hezekiah showed him all of his uh, his treasures that he had all through his house i mean he took this guy through everything and it's almost like he was bragging about it wasn't it and he said look what i have he didn't know that the guy was taking notes that he would take back to babylon and then they would later come and and uh, take all of those things and a lot of other things but uh, isaiah confronted hezekiah about it and said you've made a big mistake and here's what's going to happen uh and uh, I, I don't really like Hezekiah's response. I'm going to read it. I didn't read all the other. But Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this is chapter 39, verse 8. The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. It's kind of not looking ahead to his children and his children's children. Anyway, there's a lot of things going to happen. All these goods, these riches that you've shown will be taken away from you and everything. And, and then we come to chapter 40 that we're going to read some today. And, and it's intended to comfort the people of God. You can see in verse 1 it says so. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And, and so there are words of comfort that, that are spoken to them. The focus of the message is the remainder of the chapter. That's verses 1 through 8 are the verses that pertain to that. Talking about comfort my people. But the focus of the message is the remainder of the chapter. This is dealing with what I consider to be, in fact, it says so in, in some uh, Bibles that I was reading in, it says the, the, the greatness of God. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. It's, it's a good subject, isn't it? Uh, I mean, uh, I think everybody here today agrees that God's great. When I was a knee-high to a grasshopper, I too was, told, uh, was taught the prayer, God is great, God is good, now we thank you for the food. And uh, I was taught when I was really young that uh, God is great. My first memory, memory of life, I'm talking about my earliest memory of life, was sitting on the front pew of a church, and my daddy leading the singing in a little country church up outside of Wolf City, Texas. 
And uh, anyway, Daddy led the singing, and he, when he got saved, he came and sat down by me. So I was told this when I was really young, that God is great. And we have a wonderful passage of Scripture that backs that up. And I want to begin reading here, Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his hands. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it? And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast it for, silver, for its silver change? He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out, seeks out a skillful count, uh, craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? And, who, and he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power and no one is missing. Why do you say... O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right, uh, my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to them who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And again, as I always read the word, I pray for God to add his blessings to the reading of his word today. I want to take a particular look at verse 18. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to be able to cover every single verse. You do understand. So breathe easy. I'm not going to try to get one verse and then another verse and go through it all in detail, as we like to do expositorily, but there are some verses that I really want to point out. But I want to go back to verse 18 because there's a question that's asked there that uh, is very important for us to look at, and that's what I want to answer. 
To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? I want you to think of the scope of that question, because it opens the door for anything and everything, anyone and everyone. I mean, you can pick your choice. You can go through the entire earth, if you could, or even the heavens, or under the earth. You can just, just make your choice, or make your, 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 your search anywhere you, your heart can take you, your mind can take you, your eyes can take you. And the question comes, you, which one of those? You just go ahead and name it. Pick one out. Which one of those that you could find would you liken to God? Or which one of those would you compare with God? And this is a tremendously important question for every human being that's ever or will ever walk the face of the earth. Because the answer to that question determines virtually everything else about you. What you really think about God determines what you think about life. What you think about death, what you think about one another, what you think about heaven or hell, if you think about that at all. What you believe in God settles just about everything else. In verses 9 through 11, Isaiah directed the people's attention to God, and that's what I'd like to do this morning. Direct your attention to God. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Let me, let me stop right there. As you look through the history of Israel, there weren't very many times they were heralds of good news. They did not share the truth of, of God with people around them freely. Have you ever noticed that? Anyway, he calls them bearers of good news. At least the prophets were, I guess. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So he's pointing them to God. And I said, that's what I would like for you to do today is to look to God. Because some of you I know are hurting today. I know for a fact some are. Some of you are troubled and burdened. Some I know of and some I don't, of course. Some of you are searching for answers. For something that's lacking in your life. And you need to, to be filled or fulfilled in it. And even if everything seems to be going great. Let the word of God also speak to you this morning. And take all your attention away from the world. The cares and the troubles or even the good things of the world. Take your attention away from all of those. And help you focus upon God himself. Because he's great. He's great. I want to tell you some things about the greatness of God. Of course, I don't have time, to, as I said, to cover every one, but I want to notice a few things this morning. Before I go into that, by the way, I'm going to share with you some things that uh, are numbers, measurements, and, and all that. Some of it I researched myself, and some I'm taking somebody else's word for it because I, I didn't know how to figure it out myself. But uh, every one of us here today believes in the greatness of God, I think. We believe it in our heart, but there are some things that Isaiah writes here that helps that in helping to, to know some things, to think of some great and wonderful things about God that helps us understand him. So here, here's what I want to get. First of all, we see his great power to create in verses 12 through 24. And again, I'm not going to read all those again. His power to create. We often talk about creators in this, this line. We talk about people have a, a creative ability. Uh, I used to love to watch a program on, on television uh, called Overhauling. I don't know if everybody, Chip Foose was the guy on that, that uh, he could take an old wrecked up car 
and taken in his shop and his, his men and women, by the way, worked on that thing. And after so many days, they presented it back to the owner as a brand new automobile. But it was just something to watch him sit down at his desk and take his pen and start drawing and, and then different markers and color it in. And when he got through, he had a picture of the car that, that he wanted them to build. And he would add some things here and there and make some changes. Even when they started work on it, he'd come in there and surprise them in the shop. Say, well, I decided I want this done. And we thought, uh, think of people like that, very creative. Here in Longview, we had a, a fellow for a long time named R.G. Letourneau. And there are a lot of things that, that Mr. Letourneau invented. And he was considered to be a very creative individual. But the truth of the matter is there's only one creator. I mean, we may, we, uh, men may be pretty smart and be able to design some things, but every one of those designs takes something that already is in existence and modifies it or puts them together or alters them in some way. There, there's no man who's ever lived that was able to take nothing and make something from it. But our God has the power to create everything out of absolutely nothing. Isn't that amazing? But let's look at some things. In verse 12 it says, that's the question. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the hills in a balance? Look at some, some statistics about those things. First of all, water. If I, if I got it right, and this is some research I did, there, 96% of the water on earth is in oceans. I don't know if that's true. I haven't measured them myself. That's 332,519,000 cubic miles of water on the planet. So that means there are 321,003,271. Isn't that precise? In the oceans. How many gallons? 352,670 followed by 15 zeros. That's how many gallons. Measured in the hollow of his hand. I'm telling you, God's great when you stop to think about that, how much water there is on the earth. And simple, I mean, it just says in passing. It doesn't even go into detail about it to explain anything. It just takes it for granted that you're going to understand that God is great because he takes all the water of the earth and he, and he there it is, in the measure of his hand, the hollow of his hand. Heavens, this is what I borrowed. I, I, go ahead, I wish I would had enough sense to put it in my notes exactly who to give credit for this, but I borrowed this from some of the searching here and there that I did. Here we are on planet Earth. We're 93 million miles from the sun. Now imagine that 93 million miles as the thickness of a piece of paper. I know that's hard to do, but just imagine it. From the Earth to the sun, 93 million miles is represented by a piece of paper right there. Using that as a starter, a place to begin, the distance to the nearest star is a stack of paper 71 feet high with every piece representing 93 million miles. The size of our galaxy is represented by a stack of paper 310 miles high. The, the approximate distance, by the way, from Longview to Baton Rouge. I think it's even four, more, four less miles there. Anyway, 300... 10 miles high, every piece of paper in that stack representing 93 million miles. And that's just our galaxy. How many millions of galaxies are there out there? We have no way of knowing. Furthermore, the known universe, and by the way, this was taken a few years ago. I don't remember the year that I put it in my notes, but several years ago. And there have been more discovered since then, I know. But the known universe is a stack of paper 31 million miles high, and every piece representing 93 million miles. 
There are 10.4 million sheets of paper in a stack one mile high. Therefore, the known universe is 31 million miles of paper, each mile representing 10.4 million sheets, and each sheet representing 93 million miles. And you say, well, that's boring. It's not boring to me because the Scripture says God marked it off with a span. More, I mean, more than we could possibly imagine out there. But God marked it off with a span. Then the dust, the Sahara Desert alone, just that one desert, is approximately 3 million. Well, I've got my, I think it's 36 million. I got my common the wrong place. Square miles of sand. God enclosed all that and the rest of the dirt, dirt on earth in one of his measuring cups. How's that for God being great? And then the mountains. I don't know how to research all the mountains, so I did ask Google for the world's largest mountain. It surprised me which one it is. It's actually Mauna Laua, have you say that, in Hawaii. You say it's not the tallest. Well, it goes from the bottom of the sea all the way up. 56,000 feet from the bottom of the sea to the peak of the mountain. It is between 18,000 and 19,000 cubic miles in volume. That's just one mountain. And the Bible says that God weighed them all in a scale. How's that for greatness? You think God's great? <laughs> wow. That's all. I, I say that a lot of things reading about God. Wow. God is great. Consider some things. Oh, let me go back to verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man know, or shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who was with him through all of this to, to help him, to guide him, to give him counsel? Consider some facts about Solomon's temple. And I'm going to bring that together to show you why I'm saying that. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of Israel, numbering 30,000 men. He sent these 30,000 men to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. He also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country, besides 3,300 chief officers over the work. 1 Kings 6.38 reveals that they were seven years in building the temple. Again, think about 30,000 men, 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters, 3,300 chief officers, and so on and so forth. It took them seven years to build one temple. How long did it take God to create the earth? Well, the account in Genesis 1 is six days. Now, let me ask you a question. You think God had to use six days to do it? Of course not. But even if you look at that, six days and he created everything. And the question is asked, who was with him? Nobody. Solomon had all that help to, to build it in seven years. God had nobody with him, and he built it all in six days. Created it all in six days. How's that? For greatness. When we say God is great, we don't really know the half of it, do we? One of my favorite preachers of all time was a gentleman named S.M. Lockridge. This is his account of creation, and he said it different times and a little variation. And, and this is not necessarily one I heard him myself when he was preaching, but this is pretty close to that one I heard. He said, God came from nowhere because there was nowhere to come from. Coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing because there was nowhere for him to stand. Standing on nothing, he reached into nowhere because there was nowhere to reach into. Reaching into nothing, he grabbed hold of something when there was nothing to grab hold of. 
and he put something on nothing, and it stayed. And nobody said a word because there was nobody there to say a word. But God said it was good. Sound a little bit like Job 26 and verse 7. Job said, he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. How's that for greatness? Then there's Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. His power to create. Verses 15 through 24 Isaiah answered the question he had just asked, the question about who this and who that. Let me get my Bible back out here, 40 verses 15 through 24. I've got a Bible, a little bit bigger print. Maybe I can see it. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon shall not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith lays it, uh, overlays it with gold and casts it for, for its silver change. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol for, that will not move. And so forth down the line. The question is, who is it that does all this? And the answer is, God. Behold, it's God. And he and he alone. Uh, this, this God, who is powerful enough to create everything out of nothing, may I say, has the power to make a new creation out of the greatest sinner on the face of the earth. If we could find whoever that critter is, Paul thought it was himself. Isn't that something? The Lord came to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. But if we could search the world and find the greatest sinner, the most terrible person, the most wicked person, the vilest person on the face of the earth, this God who created everything out of nothing has the power to make a new creation, a new creature of that particular person. And we'll get to that before we close in just a minute. So we see that in this passage that God has the power to create. Next, we see that God has great provision to sustain. Verses 25 through 29, we notice that uh, the change is from the third person, he, to the first person, me. And this is what we read. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens of the earth, the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases, he increases strength. We see a common attitude among men in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Oh, world, Lord, why don't you hear me? 
I guess we've forgotten who sustains all things. Paul said in Colossians 1 at 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. We're more like Philip and Andrew in John chapter 6, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 because he asked them about feeding them and Philip's response was 200 denarii worth of bread will not be enough for each of them to get a little. Andrew came and said, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but he said, but what are they for so many? <laughs> who were they talking to? The God, even though they may not have grasped everything yet, we know he's the God who created all things, Jesus Christ, God the Son. But God's answer to their lack of faith, that is back to Isaiah 40, is verses 28 and 29. Have you not ho- heard? Have you not heard? Excuse me, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. How's that for provision? How's that? Surely the God who sustains all creation has enough provision to sustain you. And then the third and final thing we notice in the passage is this great God is present to help. Isn't that amazing that God would be present with us? And we said it before, it wouldn't matter who came here in this place. If we, had the, if we could find, again, the greatest preacher in the world, well, of course, he's on vacation today, and had him here. If we could have the best worship leader in the world, of course, he's right here, and have him here. And we have the best Bible uh, students in the world to be in the congregation. And we really did everything we could do right as far as, if God's not here, what difference is that going to make? Not one bit, but God is with us. He's present to help. Verses 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, fainting days come to all of us. Every one of us. Sometimes it seems like nothing goes right. Uh, talking to somebody the other day that was in the midst of some problem, I said, it's kind of like that old song, Mama said there'd be days like this. Then our conclusion is she didn't say they'd be so close together coming in bunches. But sometimes it seems that way. It's easy, though, to trust God when we're living the good life, isn't it? When everything's going right. But when it, when it seems the weight of the whole world is upon us, even the youth faint, Isaiah said. God reminds them and us today who he is and what he does. With that in mind, listen. He says, wait. Here's some examples. You keep waiting for relief, quit waiting for relief. Wait for the Lord. You keep waiting for answers, quit it. Wait for the Lord. You keep waiting for peace of mind, you're looking in the wrong place. Wait for the Lord. You keep waiting for strength. You keep waiting for someone to care and understand. You keep waiting for reason to hope. You keep waiting for some religious or spiritual experience. Quit looking at those things per se and look to the Lord because they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Be like the psalmist in Psalm 121, our elder selected reading this morning. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I realize that, again, that passage was not written directly to us. But I believe that he's the same God today as he was then. And we have the same assurances in our hearts and our minds as they had in those days. And then consider what the Lord told Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I'm saying, here's the difference. God is with us. Here, listen to me. God is with us. And the Bible said, if God is with us, if he's for us, who can be against us? He has the presence to help. Let me turn in closing to verse 18 in the question there. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? And we know the answer. No one. Nobody. And this is it. This awesome God cares for you. How much does he care? Well, he cared enough to send Jesus Christ to this earth. To suffer, bleed, and die for it. And he wants to know you personally. Well, how can that happen? That he can know and you can know him personally? I'm glad you asked. That's what we call the good news. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every human being has ever lived are all sinners. And we all come short of the glory of God. And there's nothing we in and of ourselves can do about it. We can't do enough good works because we can't do one good work. We can't do anything. But God did something. He moved. I had people all the time say, why didn't God do something? And they talk about certain circumstances, bad things going on. And Why didn't God do something? I said, listen, God's already done. He's already done it. He sent Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners. And if people get saved, all that would be taken care of. But he came to suffer and bleed and die for you. That's the good news. Not just for me, but for you. And according to the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the book of Mark, Jesus came preaching what? Repent and believe. You want to know why Jason uh, uh, stresses that every Sunday? That's what Jesus said. That's good enough for me. Repent and believe. If you'd repent of your sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will save you today. This God who's powerful enough to create everything out of nothing will make a new creature of you. This God who has provision to sustain will give you what you need in life, and his presence will be with you forever. Would you bow your heads and let us pray? If you already know the Lord, know this. He offers his power, his provision, and his presence to you as well. And uh, I hope that you understand that. Keith is going to play and sing a little bit, and I'll come back for a closing. But I want you to know that I'll be up here at the front. Here's Lucas over here at the front. If you need him during this time to come counsel with us about anything or ask anything about this salvation, this good news that we've talked about, or God's Power, provision, presence, we'd be glad to talk to you about it. There may be some youth that want to do that, and Matt's back there. Others are here, and you take advantage of that. But uh, you, you stop right now and just bow your head, and as this song is being sung, you think about the God and his, his might, how great our God is, and worship him.